Welcome to A Dark Turn, part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm your host, Kevin Deutsch. Here on the show, our goal is to take you deep inside the worlds of criminality and criminals and to illuminate the darker parts of American society, especially those where violence and psychopathy collide with the American ideal. We're pleased today to have with us a guest who is more than a little familiar with that dark world. Jay Ruben Appleman is a produced screenwriter, author in multiple genres, and two-time State of Idaho Literature Fellow. He's a special lecturer on the issue of human trafficking for the Honors College at Boise State University and works full-time as a private investigator. His new book is The Kill Jar, Obsession, Descent, and a Hunt for Detroit's Most Notorious Serial Killer. That's the book we'll be discussing today, and it's a good one. Uh, Mr. Appleman, thanks so much for joining us on The Dark Turn. It's our pleasure to have you on, and welcome to the show. Thanks, brother. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's great to uh, to do this with you. Cool. Uh, we we I can't wait to talk about this. Uh, I mean, it, it's a really dark book, but it's a really fascinating book. And for anybody who likes either memoir, either straight memoir or true crime, uh, it's it's a good read because it blends those two things really powerfully in a way that that I haven't seen done before. Um, your book deals with some truly uh, dark uh, and, and horrifying cases. Uh, regarding four children who were abducted and murdered outside Detroit during uh, 1970, the winters of 76 and 77. Uh, their bodies were dumped in snowbanks around the city. At the time, you were, you, you write of being six years old when these murders began, and you yourself uh, narrowly evaded an abduction attempt during this same period of time. Um, and it's sort of close to mystery, and that, and that sort of, uh, you know, you almost becoming a victim at the time that these other children were becoming victims. And that, that you write, you write about fueling your obsession with these cases. Just tell us a little bit about, about these cases and how you became, uh, how you got started on this path that you're, that you're sort of still on today. Yeah. Uh, in, in 76, uh, February of 1976, uh, I was, uh, six years old and, uh, living in a blue collar suburb of Detroit. And, and at the same time, uh, the, the first of what would become known as the Oakland County child killings, uh, had occurred. A little boy named Mark Steppens was 12 years old. Um, he was abducted off the streets, uh, held in captivity for, uh, four days. He was, his body was found on the 19th in the, in the street, uh, just dumped off somewhere. Jill Robinson, um, Came, came next later that year, uh, towards the end of that year. Uh, she was 12 years old, uh, abducted off the streets. Um, her body was found uh, uh, several days later. Uh, a, a month or approximately a month after that, Christine Mihalik, 10 years old, uh, was abducted off the streets. Um, uh, she was held in captivity for about 19 days. Her body was found, uh, dumped back into the streets. And then finally, Timothy King, 11 years old, uh, was, uh, abducted off the streets. And, and now we're into 77 with Christine Mihalik and Timothy King. Uh, Christine was January and Timothy King was March of 77. And, and in, in between those times, uh, I, I had turned seven years old and, and somebody tried to, uh, abduct me. Uh, I was at a small strip mall. Uh, pharmacy, like similar to like what we would call a Walgreens or a Rite Aid right now, but I was at something called Century Drugs in, in this little blue collar hood where I lived, and and uh, I was shoplifting candy, and and 
uh, I, I stuck some candy down my pants and I looked down the aisle and there was, there was a guy who appeared to be a security guard. He was wearing a blazer. Uh, he, he looked, uh, official. He had a presence that carried an authority with it and I somehow assumed security guard and I took the candy out of my pants and I stuck it back on the shelf and I, and I got the hell out of Dodge. You know, I, I, uh, I left the store and I crossed this big parking lot. Um, I, you know, I was a little boy, but we were allowed to sort of roam the areas at that time. Uh, most most people allow their kids to wander like that. And I crossed this big parking lot. I crossed uh, uh, four lanes of traffic um, to one way to another uh, and got into my little neighborhood. And as I was um, uh, walking home through my little neighborhood, a couple blocks in, this this same guy, this security guard, this person I thought to be a security guard, pulled up in his little compact car and. Um, he opened the passenger door. He was real close to me. So it was these tiny little cars, you know, he could reach out to me and be only about a foot or so away, uh, his hand, uh, uh, his hand about a foot or so away from my body, uh, I need to say. And, and he, he ordered me to get in the car and I took off. Uh, nothing happened to me. Uh, and I did not at the time associate uh, this attempted, uh, uh, hijacking of me, uh, as, uh, anything other, uh, with anything other than, uh, my shoplifting. Um, I did not think of the Oakland County child killings that were, um, happening. I did not think that somebody was trying to, uh, molest me or otherwise harm me. Um, I just thought I was running from the cops, so to speak. And I never told anybody, never told my parents. Um, at that time though, because of the murders, uh, the sort of world around uh, my area was painted very bleakly. Um, you know, everybody knew about these crimes, and, and 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 everybody was terrified that they would be next. And and so those were anchored in me. Uh, those murders. There was this this darkness that I thought about all my life in, in association with those killings. It wasn't until I was an adult that I thought, Jesus, I wonder if the guy who tried to take me was related to these crimes. And and that's what sort of started my initial investigation probably in around 2005. Shortly after that, I, I realized that the person who tried to uh, abduct me was, was um, you know, just your average uh, child molester or, or, or kidnapper. He wasn't associated with, uh, with these murders, I don't believe, although I did find uh, references to him in uh, uh, surveys that were provided to, to um, uh, children at the time when they were looking for the, the, the Oakland County child killer the alleged singular killer, um, they went to schools and surveyed kids about people who had tried to take them and such. And, and I did find references to, to that person in, in the, uh, uh, the documents that I, that I reviewed. But he wasn't related to the killings and, 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 and I can say, uh, uh, with, without a doubt, he, he was a, uh, uh, a common, uh, sort of predator, but, but, uh, but, but, Probably would not have murdered me is, is, the, is the sum total of my investigation into this guy. <laughs> so you, you write about 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 that sort of fear and, and, and darkness that pervaded that area at that time because these cases sort of cast a, a pal over that you know over, over kids and, and um, you, you you in the book you, you basically describe what sounds like a pretty well orchestrated midwestern um, pedophile network. Which you delve deeply into, investigate, uh, you delve into to, to sort of investigate who among these men, if any, might have been involved in these killings. And this, 
sounded like a pretty well organized network. People who were known to police. Uh, you, you go, you dig really deep uh, into some very dark world, very dark personalities. Uh, you get, you delve into police, into the, the world of the police, the world of the victims, the world of um, criminality, and specifically pedophilia, which not a lot of true crime books do. And, and um, there, there, you also write, I believe it was two books about these cases that had come before, one by a local reporter, and I think there was another one by somebody else. And you were sort of trying to go go deeper than, go farther than those books have gone. Um, and you did. You really went extremely deep into this story. And, and um, tell us a little bit about, about some of what you encountered and how difficult it is to, to sort of write about <laughs> about a subject like that that is so dark. I mean, people say they love true crime, right? Well, yeah. when, you, when, when you boil it down, you know, this is the ultimate. I mean, this is the ultimate in sort of abuse and, and a certain kind of evil. That's a unique kind of evil that a lot of people are uncomfortable with. And, and you went there, and you really went into these, these worlds. And, and, and just tell me a little bit about what that was like for you and the difficulties as, a, as an investigator and a writer. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, look, look, man. I have to say, for, uh, there's so many things you touched on. First, uh, when, <laughs> yeah. people, when, yeah, when people say true, they love true crime, and, and, the, and they come up to me and they say, "Hey, I'm a true crime buff. Too. Can't wait to read your book." Or I just read your book. I'm a true crime fanatic as well. You know all this stuff. I am not a true crime fan. I do not uh, enjoy reading. Uh, uh, about these horrific crimes, or even looking into these horrific crimes. I uh, I am somebody who uh, gets my claws into an incomplete investigation and somehow desire, for some reason, desires to complete it. Um, I I am attached to the holes in narratives that are provided to me by authority. Um, it's I, I think there's um, so for starters, I do not like gore. I do not like thinking about these things. It has never been something that I've been into. Um, on a very basic level, people who are from Detroit, though, and I'm one of those people, simply don't like to get pushed around. I think, and I got tired of listening to to what seemed like just. Um, uh, monotonous rhetoric surrounding the investigation. Um, you know, th- th- there were all these lines fed to us as the public over the last, I mean, 40 years ago is when this case started. And, and, and there were all these lines that just seemed incomplete. They made no sense. Um, they were, they were spin. And I realized that very early in my investigation. So I, yeah, so I dug deep because, because I wanted to get to the bottom of this investigation because four kids had been abducted, horribly um, abused, and, and eventually murdered. And, and that's what drove me to this, some sort of obligation, moral or ethical, um, uh, an investigative obligation or something to figure out what the hell went, went on here. And, and in doing that, I, I got my hands on thousands of documents. You know you're, you've done investigative work, and, and, and a lot of the documents um, – uh, said nothing, and a lot of them said everything. Um, and, and these documents were were from the Michigan State Police, the FBI, multiple counties, including Oakland and Wayne, around the Detroit area, the city police in all the uh, areas surrounding the crimes. And this includes, if you're from that area, you'll know Birmingham, Ferndale, Berkeley, Southfield, Livonia, and all kinds of little blue-collar subs. Um, I looked at crime scene narratives, autopsy reports, internal departmental narratives, evidence catalogs, um, and, 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 and any time I got close to something, it never looked like what I had been told 
it looked it was going to look like. It never fit the police narrative. It never fit the narrative previously in the press. It never fit the narrative of the two prior, uh, well, one prior book that was published um, that was, by the way, uh, 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 introed or uh, the foreword was uh, written by a, a guy in the police force, if I remember right. I mean, it was a guy in the police force. I, can't, I, I think it was the forward. It might have been called the introduction. I can't remember. But basically, one of the lead investigators at the time had an editorial eye, an editorial hand in the compiling of the information in the book. And that's just not the way you that's not the way you do journalism. That's like asking the White House for a report on the White House. They're going to give you, uh, you know, what they want. That's not how you get to the heart of things, right? And and um, so that book, I just, you know, it, it, it was good for the time, but I, I think it occurred in '82 or something. But but primarily, primarily, all the official narratives, whether in print or online or in audio reports or in, in news reports on TV, they all said uh, the exact opposite of what I kept finding in these documents, which was that, um, for starters, these bodies were um, uh, found clean, meaning there was no evidence, no trace, no nothing that would lead anybody to any kind of uh, suspect in the crimes. Well, that turned out to immediately be not true when I, uh, or recognizably not true when I, when I saw the, um, uh, evidence catalogs that included semen and saliva and blood and hair fragments from humans and dogs. And I mean, just anything you would really ever want for trace evidence was on these bodies. Um, and so it was astounding to me that the exact opposite had been reported. What I, when I started to dig a little deeper, say, as you say, into those areas that, um, are, are distasteful, um, uh, to, to the highest degree, um, uh, child pornography, child, uh, uh, pedophilia and, and these, um, what you indicated was like a syndicate around the area in Detroit, um, Detroit leading to Northern Michigan. I, I discovered that, that the murders of these bodies had to have been in association with the, uh, this, this child pornography syndicate that was operating in the, and there are a couple of areas. One is in the heart of the sort of impoverished, uh, quote, ghetto of Detroit where, where, uh, tons of drugs and prostitution and pedophilia and such, uh, happened by nature of the socioeconomic problems of that area. And then in, in northern Michigan, um, North Fox Island, which was a, an island owned by a wealthy, uh, inheritor of Detroit, uh, business money, a French guy named Frank Sheldon, who owned this island. He would traffic kids through that island for, for pornography, um, and his own sexual appetite. And, and, um, and there was this chain of, 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 uh, 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 pedophiles and pornographers that would basically, that were linked. If you throw it on a map, you can link them all to, uh, to, uh, from Detroit up to that North Fox Island and in the environs around there. Places like Flint, Michigan, which people, uh, know about from the water crisis with the lead in the pipes, but also from, uh, the documentary and, uh, uh, was it Michael Moore who, who, um, did, uh, films like Roger and Me and stuff. Flint is like an, an abandoned, uh, abandoned an inheritor of, uh, of the detritus of, that is left behind when, when uh, factories uh, shut down and such. And anyway, it, there's a lot of sort of uh, these, these depraved uh, uh, type of people operating in the area, and, and they all had uh, uh, figuratively and literally their hands uh, on these murders um, to some degree. And I would say that somebody like Frank Sheldon was – and I'll get into detail if you want, but but this port, this rich port, uh, child pornographer and, and child molester uh, and rapist, essentially, uh, uh, he was not, I don't believe, 
the murderer of these kids, uh, but he he operated in association with the parties who who took place in the captivity of, of these kids. Okay, and, I mean, and yeah, fascinating. Yeah, it's, it's rough, and it's rough. Yeah, it's it's very rough. Yeah. It, so, and you and you really, I think you were able to write about it. I want to talk about. Uh, your, your personal story, and um, um, you write really movingly and, and openly and, and powerfully about your life, your your encounters with abuse, substance abuse, physical abuse, uh, um, uh, difficult relationship with your father and, and your family and your and your, your own kids and and your your own struggles with self harm and, and substance abuse, and. I mean, really raw and really open, and you balance that so well with the investigative elements, and, and you sort of, when you, you sort of weave them together beautifully. And uh, just, I, I was curious, and I think our listeners will be curious, what um, what it was like for you mining those areas, uh, especially at a time, you know, those sort of darker depths of yourself, especially at a time when you're also mining the darkest depths of criminality in in, in Michigan. <laughs> So, so what yeah. was what, how how difficult was that for you? Uh, well, I mean, for starters, for starters, uh, and I'll talk about how difficult it was. It was very difficult, of course. And there were times I mentioned in the book where you know, I could barely get myself off the floor because of the compounding sort of interest of that darkness just piling onto me. Um, but but I think it's really important to recognize. Um, uh, uh, that serious crimes don't end with the prosecution of a suspect. I talk about this all the time. The effects of those crimes linger in the in the atmosphere, uh, in the lives of the loved ones of the victims, and in the lives of the community uh, for generations. In the instance of the o- Oakland County child killings, I was a member of that community, and these crimes touched me, and they altered my perception of the world, and and my perception became darker. Um, uh, at the same time, uh, you mentioned a difficult relationship with my father. You know, at the same time, that was the there was, there was a, a, a lot of ex, uh, abuse in our house. There was a there was an overwhelming sense of uh, a thick cloud, say, that I couldn't penetrate, that my psyche just couldn't uh, get through. That that was uh, I, you know, I was surrounded by darkness at home and in the streets. It felt like I was surrounded by darkness as well uh, with these murders happening. And 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 yeah, and 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 uh, as an adult. Um, you know, those things had never left me, you know, those earliest anchors, uh, anchor the deepest and, and, um, that stuff was still, uh, uh, a part of, of my world. Um, uh, but it, it, two things happened to me when I was working on this case. Um, for starters, I felt like, uh, in order to unravel the case, it became important, important for me to unravel my own history with that period. Um, I, I could have left that to myself, uh, my personal struggles or whatever you want to call it, but I believe that the truth of this story is not just that four kids were, were horribly murdered and that no justice was done, but that this lack of justice means a lack of closure to the recipients of that history, that, that the generations that come after these crimes are now a part of the lineage of those crimes. Um, and, and I and I, I realized that um, uh, uh, I was I had to tell my own story as it interwove with the stories of the murders in order to understand uh, the murders. I just could not look at it from a clinical uh, uh, perspective because I don't I don't believe that's how they exist anymore. Because after 40 years. Um, they're saturated with the with the with the narratives of the people who were involved and 
and I, I don't know, I just felt like I couldn't tell the clinical uh, the story alone. I, I felt like it was that would only tell part of it because really as an, as a reader of the book, um, I think that would actually be have been a, uh, have felt like an injustice. I feel like there's so many tens of thousands of kids like me that grew up in that area that had they read a clinical study of the book, um, it would have felt uh, not believable, not real. Like you know, there's this guy Tim O'Brien. He wrote about Vietnam a lot, and he said he said you can tell you can tell a a, a true war story uh if you if you don't believe it, which is sort of the flip of it because what he's getting at in this in, when he talks about that is that there you can't tell a war story without telling the absurd levels of interpersonal interaction and such that happen in, in the in the field of battle and 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 um I don't want to get off too far on that but but that's how it felt to me that I had to that I had to in order to tell the real story the real story involves all the the, the the, the crazy tentacles of darkness that that saturated the community, and I was a part of that. The second thing that happened when I did that, though, uh, which it was mysterious, I didn't feel like this, I didn't expect this, was that um, I kind of stepped out of all that darkness as well. I feel like I'm not saying I'm a better or happier person, but I feel like um, I found truth in my in my personal journey through that that allows me to not just survive these crimes as a part of my history, but to survive the other darker parts of my history. And I guess that's what memoir does. And, and some people might say, well, who cares about you? You know, let's just tell me what happened. And I would say that's a valid point, um, but that's not the book I wrote. I wrote a memoir basically that, that unravels the crimes. And it's a really remarkable work. Can you please, uh, Mr. Avalon, just tell our, tell your, tell our listeners, uh, how they can find your work? Um, obviously Amazon, bookstores, uh, is it, uh, just tell us about any websites or other, th- other places you would direct people to if they're interested in this as well as your other works. Yeah, the kill, the kill jar is on, uh, you know, everywhere you can buy books online. It's in a million Barnes and Nobles. I don't know if they have a million anymore, but it's in thousands anyway. <laughs> um, um, and, and, and it's available in audio. It's available in ebook. It's available in big print and hardcover. And, um, there's also a four part docu-series for television, uh, that's coming out, uh, end of winter. I'm the, I'm the on-camera investigator in that TV show and, and um, um, I'm not allowed to, until they announce it, talk about the network that it's on, but it's a big network, and you'll see it. It'll be available uh, on all the streaming services, and, you know, it'll be everywhere. And and, and I guess if you last last resort, you can go to my website, which is just a, basically a page to order the book. It's jrubenappleman.com. Mr. Appleman, thanks so much for, for taking time to, to, to speak with us about this, about your book. The book is The Kill Jar. Obsession, Descent, and a Hunt for Detroit's Most Notorious Serial Killer. Uh, go out and read it. It's really uh, it's fascinating. And, and I, I look forward to checking out uh, your, your TV work, too, and, uh, and anything you have coming up. So thank you very much for having us, for, for coming on, Mr. Appleman. Yeah, man, and I'm a, I'm a, a fan of your investigative work, too, so I, I appreciate that you reached out, and I'm, I'm glad to do it anytime.